Good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be with you uh, here at, at Finlay uh, this morning. Um, and it's been great just to be able to, to worship with you uh, this morning. I bring uh, greetings from the folks at, at Riverside in Air, where, where I serve. We've been really blessed by our partnership um, with you guys here at Finlay, and we've gained from you in, in several different ways. Uh, Shirley touched on, on some of this earlier. Uh, I, I think, first came up to, to visit uh, Finlay about seven or eight years ago. Uh, I, at that time, was particularly interested to, to, ha to see some of the, the community work that, that you guys are involved in, and I, and I guess see if you had some ideas that maybe I could pinch uh, because that's what we do, isn't it, at church? We, we share, um, or perhaps we steal from each other, but in a, in a kingdom, sort of good kind of way. Um, and then uh, more recently, some of our, our folks uh, came up from, from Riverside and took a, a Syrian family um, from our church uh, up to one of your, your projects here. And of course, Peter very generously opened the door for us to be able to host a Korean prayer mission team, uh, which we have done over the, the, the last two years, and that has just been such a, a privilege and a joy for us. So, whether you are particularly aware of it or not, this church here at Finlay has been a real source of encouragement and wisdom and blessing for us at Riverside. And that makes it all the more special for me to be able to, to come and, and be with you this morning and share with you. And it's great. We've done this wee sort of pulpit swap, uh, and Peter's down uh, sharing with the folks at uh, Riverside this morning. And it's great to have that sort of fellowship uh, deepened between our churches. We're going to be looking at Haggai uh, chapter 1 this morning, and Haggai can be a wee bit tricky to find. It's the third last book in the Old Testament. Uh, it's also one of the, the smallest books in the Bible. It's a prophecy of only 38 verses. It's small, but it packs a real punch. And I have to say that I've genuinely really enjoyed delving into Haggai's prophecy this week. And God has been challenging my heart, and He has been encouraging me, and He has been using this prophecy to, to speak into some stuff that, that we're grappling with just now at Riverside. So, I pray that God will also speak through Haggai to, to you this morning challenging you, encouraging you, directing you, perhaps even redirecting you, perhaps helping to prepare or equip you for the building work, the kingdom work that you're involved in or that God wants you to be involved in. Before we read Haggai chapter 1, it's probably good just to give you a wee bit of context, just to, to, to understand that, just a bit of the, the historical background. After uh, King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into two. There was the, the northern kingdom, which was 
uh, overrun by, by Assyria, and the people of the northern kingdom were, were taken off into exile, never ever to return. The southern kingdom, known as, as Judah, they fared uh, a bit better, uh, but a hundred years after the collapse of the northern kingdom, Judah was defeated by the Babylonians. The temple in Jerusalem was ransacked and completely destroyed, and the people were taken off into exile. About 50 years later, the Babylonian empire fell to the, the Persians who were led by King Cyrus. Now, King Cyrus, he had a, a completely different attitude to, to people of, of different cultures and faiths. He was quite happy for people to worship in, in whatever way suited them, and he even encouraged the Jews, the exiles from Judah, to return to Jerusalem. Now, not all of them did return. They had been in exile for 50 years, and many of them had become quite settled. Children had been born who had never lived in their homeland. They only knew of Jerusalem eh, through stories that had been passed down over the years. But in 539 B.C., a group of people, a remnant, did return. They went back to Jerusalem, and they began to rebuild the city. They began to rebuild the walls around the city, and crucially, they began to rebuild the temple. They started with with great excitement and passion and determination. For three years, they focused their greatest effort on reestablishing the temple, laying out the, the outline on the ground, digging the foundations. But as they worked, they were met by opposition. You can read more about that in, in the book of Ezra. At first, they shrugged off the opposition, but as it continued, they became a bit discouraged the pace of the work slowed down. There seemed to be less and less people turning up to help build the temple. And so, this sense of discouragement slowly grew into a sense of disillusionment. Where was God in all of this? Why was this work so hard? And after three years, the work ground to a halt. They had plenty of other stuff to be getting on with. After all, it wasn't just a, a temple that needed to be rebuilt. They needed homes to live in. The whole city had to be rebuilt. Time passed, and people grew used to that gap in the middle of Jerusalem. They became used to that hole in the ground, that heap of rubble where the temple ought to have been. It didn't seem to be so vital anymore. And 18 years after they had returned from exile, 15 years after the work on the temple had ground to a halt, the Lord sent the prophet Haggai to Jerusalem. Let's read from Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. 
to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltai, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. Warm. You, you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber, timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and, and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. So, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of jo Joshua, son of Jehazadik, and the, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Amen. Lord, as we turn to consider this word of yours that we have just read. As we consider an ancient prophecy given to a people so long ago, would you bring the message of your word home to us? Would you open our minds, our hearts, to receive from you this day. Would you stir our spirits afresh for your glory? Amen. 
So this prophecy pretty much uh, starts with, with a list of names. King Darius, he uh, has succeeded his father Cyrus, king of Persia. Um, he, Darius doesn't really play a part in, in what we're looking at this morning, but he gets a mention because referring to the second year of his reign anchors this prophecy in history. It lets us know precisely when all of this occurred. Haggai is the, the next to be mentioned, and Haggai, of course, is the, the, the prophet. He's someone who carries a message from God. Incidentally, whenever I try to um, type Haggai into my phone, uh, it, it kept changing it to Haggis. Haggis is already a dimension this morning. Uh, and I have to say, I quite like the, the idea of a prophet called Haggis, a kind of Scottish prophet. I think the Scots would make good prophets. We're a bit hairy and rugged, and, and you could just see this guy coming down from the mountains with a burning with a message. Next was Zerubbabel. He's the governor of, of Judah. He was their political leader. It, it was Zerubbabel and, and Joshua who had led this remnant this group of exiles back to Jerusalem, out of exile and back to Jerusalem. And Joshua, he was the high priest. He was the, the religious leader uh, of the people. We have a, the political leader and the religious leader. And what was the message that God wanted to convey through Haggai to, to Zerubbabel, Joshua, um, and the people who had returned? Well, God had a question for them. He wanted to ask them, whose time is it? Um, see if I can get this. Oh, I've not put it on. That'll, that would maybe help. No, nope, I'm still not getting this. Can you just maybe move it on for me? Brilliant. Whose time is it? The first thing that 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 God did was repeat back to the exiles the excuse that they had given for their failure um, to build the temple. You know when you've failed to do something that you, you, you really ought to have done, and, and you know, I oh, really ought to have done this, and rather than just kind of fess up that you've, you, you've not got round to it, or you've, you've not done it, we've got this tendency, we like to make up an excuse um, to try and justify why we haven't done what we really ought to have done. Uh, and when you've made up an excuse, often the, the worst thing that can happen, the most excruciating thing that can happen to you, is for somebody to repeat back to you the excuse that you've given. Because when you hear it repeated back to you, you realize just how lame and pathetic your excuse was. And that's what's happening here to these people, these exiles in Judah. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Just what, just what sort of time do you think is going to be convenient for you then, says God? And anyway, whose time do you think this is? 
And God lays it on thick with a wee bit of, of sanctified sarcasm, I think, in verse 4. He says to them, it's not the right time to build my house, but it is time to build yourselves your, your, your fancy paneled houses, is it? You know, we're really no different. We can always come up with, with plenty of reasons for not doing what God wants us to do. It's not the right time. I need some confirmation. That's just too ambition. It's too ambitious. It's, it's too much. I, I'm not the right person. And sometimes we'll, we'll even dress up our excuses in some sort of theological guise to try and give, give it some credibility. But the bottom line is, we know what God wants us to do. We know what is right, but we try to kid ourselves on. And these exiles, they are not work shy. They're putting in the hours of hard graft, but it's not for God, it's all for themselves, while the house of God lies in ruins. Their problem was not a, a lack of resource. They have the know-how. They're willing to travel for the right materials. They're already doing it for their own homes. I heard a, a, about a, a pastor. I, I think he, he, he was, in, it was a pastor in Ireland, if I remember right, and he was, he was launching a new project, and he was really just infusing his church about this new project. Uh, it was going to cost a bit of money. It was going to take a bit of effort. It was going to mean for the, the church, you know, it, 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 there was going to be a bit, of, a bit of investment needed into this project. But then he said to them, but it's okay, God has already provided all that we need for this project. And this fellowship, this pastor, it was a Pentecostal fellowship, and so he was really, he was getting himself quite worked up, and the congregation were getting quite worked up, and he was saying, look, it's brilliant, God has provided all we need for this new project. And there were calls of hallelujah, and people were raising their arms and thinking, this is brilliant. What a great God we have. He's provided all that we need. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. And then the pastor said, there's just one problem. There's just one piece of bad news I need to share with you, and that is the resource God has given us, well, it's in your pockets. But God has provided. You know, when we, it's so easy for us to say that we love God. It's so easy for us to sing of our love and of our devotion to God. But do we really? Do we really love Him? Do we love Him with the resources that He has given us? Do we love Him with the time He has given us, the talents He has given us, 
the finance he has given us. The problem here at Jerusalem was not a problem of time. It was not a problem of resource. It was a problem of the heart, a problem of priority. Jesus said, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. If you claim to love God, how is that evident? What do people see in your actions? What do they see in your attitudes? What do they see in the way that you spend your your time or your money or your talent? Who are you building for? Through the prophet Haggai, God challenges their priorities. But then he goes on to say to them, give careful thought to your ways. It's working. That's it, brilliant. Thank you. Consider your ways. He repeats this, give careful thought to your ways. He repeats this in, in verse 5 and in verse 7. In some Bible, Bibles, this phrase is translated, consider your ways. Hey, God is saying, let's just stop and think about this. You've been building your own homes, and you've neglected my house. You've been looking out for your own interests, and you've left my house in ruin. So, how's that really worked out for you, God says to them? How have these last 15 years gone for you? Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. It's like God is saying to them, you've put so much effort into your new life in Jerusalem. You've worked so hard, but you seem to have gained so little reward. You've earned good wages, but you seem to have so little to show for them. What's gone wrong? On the face of it, you should have everything, but in reality, you seem to have so little. What has gone wrong for these people? Let's jump down to verse 9 and see if we can maybe find an answer there. You expected much but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crop. I called, says God, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor 
of your hands. God is saying you had great ambitions and hopes for what life would be like now that you're back. And you poured your life into it for 15 years only to have no lasting reward. And even the little that you did harvest, I blew it away. Why did I do this, asks God? Because of my house, which lies in ruins, while each of you busies yourself with his own house. God says, I'm the reason nothing has worked out for you. Because you have been absolutely and totally committed to yourself, I have been absolutely and totally committed to your failure. These are serious and somber words. Give careful thought to your ways. You know, it's one thing for, for someone who doesn't believe to make their own pleasure their God. That's what you might expect. But these people in Jerusalem, these exiles, they are the, 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 the children of God. They are a community, or, or should be a community, centered on faith in the living God. Yet they have chosen to turn their back on, on the God who called them out of exile. They have turned away from the Lord who led them home. By their choices, they have rejected the one who saved them. And the Lord disciplines those He loves. He wanted so much more from these people, but He also wanted so much more for these people. He still longs to bless them, and so He gives them a fresh opportunity. In verse 8, He says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Go up, bring down, and build. What do you do when nothing seems to be working out as you hope? Consider your ways. Take stock. Who are you really living for? At home, at work, in church? Are you devoted to pleasing God? Or are you really just pursuing your own interests? The Lord says, why not take that energy and passion that you've been pouring into the pursuit of your own pleasure and spend it in a way that pleases me. Why not bring those same resources you've been using to build your own kingdom and invest them in building my kingdom? Haggai has brought the Lord's charge and challenge to these people. And now there's this gap in my Bible that there really is a gap between verse 11 and verse 12. 
And that gap symbolizes the passing of time. In verse 1, we, we found we were in the first day of the sixth month. And by verse 15, it's the 24th day of that same sixth month. The people are given time to weigh up the word that they have heard. I wonder if during that, that gap, during that time, in their minds, did they journey back 18 years to when they first arrived back in Jerusalem? Did they recall the, the excitement, the, the, the hope with which they arrived? Did they remember the dreams that they had? Sure, the challenge was huge at that time. The city was in ruins. There was opposition all around, but God was with them. And now, did their hearts break? And did their heads hang in shame as they considered how they had lost their way, lost their focus, lost their first love. I, I grew up in Kilmarnock. Um, that's not a confession, it's just kind of reality. I grew up in Kilmarnock. I'm a killy boy, so I'm, I'm more used to defeat than triumph. And we had a, an author in Kilmarnock. He just passed away a few years ago, William McIlvany. Uh, some of you might have heard of him. Some of you have maybe even read some of his, his books. And he, he wrote a, a, a wee collection of, of short stories called Walking Wounded. And as you open this uh, book of, of short stories, on the flyleaf there's a quote. You know how quite often in books they'll have a wee quote in the flyleaf as you open. Sometimes it's maybe something from Aristotle or something or Sophocles or, or Dickens or whatever. But, but this quote um, that the William McIlvany decided to write in the, the flyleaf of this book, it was, a, it was from a man, he says, that he overheard in a pub. A quote from a man he overheard in a pub. And the quote is, come, come now. Did we not all start off with more important matters on our minds? Come, come now. Did we not all start off with more important matters on our minds? I love that quote. Because I, I need to take, take stock. I need to consider my ways. I need to, when I'm just caught up in the, in the duty of doing stuff, when I'm caught up in my own ideas and my own plans and my own dreams, when I'm distracted or disillusioned or fed up or down or I need to think back. What has God called, called me to do? What has God called or calling you to do? 
How did it all start off with Jesus? Is it possible that there are some of us here, and like the exiles of Jerusalem, we have somehow lost our way? You've lost that passion that you once had for the kingdom of God. I don't know how it happened. Perhaps you're not quite sure how it happened. Maybe you faced opposition. Maybe something tragic, something, something difficult occurred in your life. Perhaps you were disappointed, let down by the church or by other Christians. You became disillusioned. It may have been a sudden thing, but more likely that passion has just somehow slowly ebbed away. And now you just find yourself going through the motions of religious duty or activity. Listen. The old prophet Haggai has turned up this morning to tell you, God's not done with you. Whatever age or stage you are at, it's time to start afresh. The people discerned in Haggai's message the voice of the Lord, and the people feared the Lord. If we could just turn on the next slide, thanks. The people feared the Lord. We tend to, to think of fear as a, as a negative thing, and fear usually is a negative thing, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The exiles had feared their neighbors who opposed their rebuilding of the, the, the temple, and that, that wasn't a good fear. That fear stopped them from doing what God had called on them to do. But now they remembered. They remembered that it was the Lord that they needed to fear. And this was a fear that motivated them to do what was good and brave and godly. Their change of heart was a, a sign of repentance, and so God promised them. He reassured them, I am with you. And God came to them, and He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and He stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and He stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. Is God stirring up your spirit <coughs> this morning? Are you ready to say, Yes to the Lord. No more excuses. No more misplaced priorities. Here I am, Lord.
send me. Let's pray. Almighty God, this <coughs> this word you've you've brought us this morning, this prophecy from Haggai is a is a solemn and a and in some ways a difficult word. But it's a word we all need to we all need to hear and pay heed to. Lord, I confess, as I've spent time thinking about this, this week, this is a word I needed to hear. Lord, we thank you for the enduring relevance and life and truth of your word. Stir us up by your spirit, we pray. Thank you for the resources that you give us. Thank you for the, the many, many blessings that are ours. And now, Lord, stir us up to build your kingdom. Stir us up to do your will, wherever the cost, wherever the opposition. Lord, have your way in our lives, in this church, and build your kingdom, we pray. Amen.